Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. Again, if you're new with us today, uh, we've been in this series called You Asked For It. So basically what that means is, is we had uh, an open opportunity for people to submit questions. And really there was no right or wrong questions. Is anything that's on, the, on people's hearts and minds is curious. Maybe a Bible question or just a thought related to relationships or things going on in our world. Or, you know, whatever it might be. It's kind of like if I have a question, where in the world could I go or who could I ask to get an answer to these questions? And that's really what the premise of this series is all about. We're just looking at God's Word. And if God's Word speaks specifically about it, we're going to address it in that way. There may be a principle that we pull from as well. If there's not anything specifically uh, directed towards uh, that particular type of question. Or it might even be just uh, my personal take. And even though it's just my personal take, that's what it is. It's my personal opinion. But for the most part, God's Word is very... Um, very clear, and most of the questions that we all have, we can find answers to those questions in God's Word. And so, with that in mind, uh, it's been a challenge for me to really just get all of the answers to these questions in the amount of time that we have. And so, if you're ready, I'm ready, and uh, I'm excited because we're going to dive into really the um, the last batch of questions. And again, we couldn't get to all of them. I just kind of handpicked some of these from what I really felt like were uh, intriguing questions that I think many people, just seeing, seeing a consistent thread or, or maybe a um, theme that has kind of been woven throughout, we've tried to just highlight those as well. So with that in mind, right, let's, let's dive it. in. Let's do it. So the first question I think is a great question. I didn't really understand this growing up, and I've learned more about it as I've been older in my faith, but I love it. Is the Sabbath on Sunday? That's a great question. And, you know, that's one that I think, especially in today's modern culture, uh, where so many people have to work on Sundays, uh, whether it's their career that, you know, pulls them out of church or whatever circumstances that might be. Sometimes, you know, a person's health may even be preventative for them to physically, you know, be in church. Uh, and so, obviously, a lot of circumstances that have emerged that causes a lot of people, to, I think, to ask that question because sometimes they feel guilty if they don't physically go to church or whatever. But I think the real heart of the question is, is the Sabbath, you know, um, may be limited to a Sunday, and I think it's important first and foremost for us to understand really what the Sabbath is and what it isn't. Uh, first of all, you know, in the, a lot of times when we hear the word Sabbath, um, it is, you know, something that obviously God referenced in the Old Testament, and specifically in the Old Covenant, it was, a, uh, it was really a contractual agreement, if you will, that God had, he had made with his people. And one of those contractual commandments was for them to honor him by obeying the Sabbath. And basically, it's a principle behind creation. We see it at the very beginning where God created the heavens and the earth. He created all the animals, the men, 
created us uh, into his own image, men and women alike. And so when you think about God's creation, God created, and then the Bible says that he took the seventh day, that last day, and he utilized that as a day of rest. Now, in the Old Testament, as you will see, the purpose for that is that there would be no work. There would be no form of distraction. God wanted there to be a day of complete focus in worship. And a day where our hearts and our minds were to totally tuned in to him. And so in the same way, in the New Testament, when Jesus comes into the picture and the church is birthed through the book of Acts, we see the Sabbath not necessarily practice per se as it was in the Old Testament because now we're under the new covenant we're under now rather than being under the law we're now being under the umbrella of grace and because of that the principle of rest is still a principle that God wants us to practice and to honor therefore does it mean that it has to fall on the day we all call as Sunday well I believe the answer to that question is no but at the same time I believe Sunday should be a day that we worship together. And here's the reason for that. I think it's important, in fact, Hebrews chapter 10 says that we should not neglect or forsake the assembling of ourselves. So there is a purpose, and it's a part that we see demonstrated in the book of Acts when the church was birthed. And the Bible says they went from house to house, and they worshiped together in the temple courts. So there was a time of corporate worship, there's a time for personal fellowship and devotion that we have with one another as believers, privately, personally, but also in a corporate context. And so we as believers should come together as a body in a corporate setting such as this. And we do that mainly out of the New Testament on Sunday because Sunday is also the day that Jesus did what he came back from the grave right so we all know that Good Friday it was not good for Jesus but it was good for us in the fact that he died on Friday he was placed into a tomb and on Sunday he came back to life so Sunday morning is really a day that we set aside for the celebration it's the glorification. It's the time where we as believers come together as a body, as a fellow uh, body of believers where we come and worship our risen Savior. We receive strength and encourage, encouragement and support from the Word of God, but also from one another being together. It's a reminder that we say that we serve the same Lord. It's a reminder that Jesus is alive. He is still on the throne. And God has called us to be the church and to go out into the world and to be the church and to reflect his glorious light to a world that's living in darkness. But Sabbath is an opportunity. It should be a priority in our lives where we take care of our soul. And we set aside quality time to do nothing but really replenish our heart, replenish our minds, replenish our souls, and to really have our complete focus and attention directed upon the Lord. That should be every day, but at the same time, there should be a day where we do nothing but allow our soul to be restored and replenished. And if it was important for God, how much more is important for us?
And so that's something I think is helpful. Yes, very helpful. Thank you. I think um, something that we do and kind of our family has learned along the way, our children too, is on Saturday just starting to slow down, you know, maybe in the afternoon, slowing down a bit. And because Sunday is obviously not a day of rest for us. It's kind of, uh, it's one of our biggest days of the week. Yeah. So we, we've chosen that day, Saturday, to be a slow, slower. You know, I know many have games and things in the morning and afternoon, but if, as you're moving into the evening, resting and and focusing on Sunday's coming. And then also, I just want to say just uh, being a worship leader, we all we all are responsible to worship God together, and he t- teaches us to do that through worship and singing and playing the instruments. And so as you're coming to church, I would encourage you, I'm just going to take a moment to get on my soapbox, just to worship yeah. with the family. It, isn't it crazy how you can get in the biggest fight of the whole week on your way to church? Okay. Maybe not you guys, but us as a family as we had our kids growing up. But if you get that worship music on, and let's worship our way in. And so when you're walking in, you're already set and you're ready. We don't have to warm you up. You're ready to go. Yeah. You with me? That's it. Okay. We'll see you next week. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's awesome, awesome way to be prepared for your heart to, to worship the Lord. Yeah, so absolutely. anyway, number two, what is the best way for teenagers to bring friends to Christ? That's I love awesome. that question. I, I uh, first and foremost, I just love students. I love teenagers. I love families. Um, and there's nothing more near and dear to my heart than our young people in the next generation and I'm so proud of our students that are here today, down here on the front, and uh, you know that we're taking a little bit of a sabbatical over the summer uh, with school being out as far as normally they would be meeting in our student cafe. But I just want to say this when it comes to, first of all, I just appreciate the question. It, it, it encourages me to know that that's even on the mind or in the heart, and it sounds like that may come from a parent who uh, is trying to encourage their son or their daughter in those teenage years to be proactive and, and really just to be intentional about being the light, sharing their faith. And, and I think um, in today's world now more than ever, and this really isn't just limited to students. I mean, this is all of us. This is, this is our mandate. This is, you know, sharing our faith is not an option. It is a command. And so when you think about that, we should all be prepared. We should all be intentional. We should all be praying for opportunities. And that's really where I would start. And I would, I would just encourage, first and foremost, for if your son or your daughter has a friend, a classmate, somebody that they know that maybe doesn't know the Lord or maybe in their heart they don't sense they have a relationship with the Lord, first of all, start praying for them. Call them out by name specifically, maybe even write down a list of individuals that you're praying for. It may be somebody that's, you know, in their class uh, or uh, multiple, multiple classes that they have in their school. Maybe it is an activity, a sports team or whomever that they are uh, connected with that, that maybe isn't necessarily a believer or follower of Christ. And so again, praying specifically by name asking God to open their hearts, to soften their hearts, to, to really, I think, even provide doors of opportunity that would be open for them to be able to share their faith and be able to even ask spiritual questions, which leads me to another thing that I would encourage. So one is to pray that God would 
you know, soften hearts, prepare their minds and their hearts, um, because, you know, people are spiritually blind. And so if they're walking in darkness and they're spiritually blind, they don't know spiritual things. So they're only operating in their natural, you know, sinful way, and yet they don't know that because they don't have the mind of Christ. They don't have the spirit living in them. So we need to pray that God opens their eyes and their ears and softens their hearts and prepares them for those kinds of opportunities. But I would also encourage any, any student, any teenager, but all of us as adults, I would also just encourage you to learn spiritual conversations, how to start spiritual conversations. And, you know, that sometimes can be just in a relational way where it doesn't, you know, have to be a, uh, you know, one of these, you know, formal conversations that has to be overwhelming or intimidating. It might just be leveraging a situation, you know, seeing the fact that somebody's going through a difficult time, being aware of that and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you as you're walking through this. Or maybe going to a friend and say, hey, I know you got this coming up, or hey, I know you just went through this, or hey, you got this big game coming up, or you got this test coming up. Is there anything I can do to pray for you? That sometimes just means the world to people. I've never in my life have ever asked somebody, can I pray for you? And I've never had one single person say, absolutely not, don't do that. I've always, most people were just kind of like overwhelmed, and, and honestly, they're somewhat just kind of taken back that you would even care enough to even ask. But sometimes that can help open the heart and maybe cause someone to be curious about your faith and why prayer is important and why you're dependent upon God in that way. But learning how to develop spiritual conversations is so, so important. Doing what I call random acts of loving kindness. It might be doing something for that friend who's got a big test or has got a big game or going through a difficult time or whatever it is they're experiencing, but doing something for them and writing them a little note just say, hey, just wanted you to know that God loves you and I care about you as your friend. And that can open doors of conversations and lead to those kinds of spiritual moments as well. And when those spiritual moments occur, you know, it might be simply asking them the question, hey, when you have a minute, I'd love to take five, ten minutes and just share something really, really cool that God has done in my life. And all of a sudden, it gives you the opportunity to share your personal testimony, your own faith. And then just say, hey, you know, this is just something I've experienced recently, and it's really impacted me. And can you, can you has, has there ever been a time when you can say that's happened to you? And maybe they might respond by saying, well, not really. And maybe you can follow up by saying, well, would you like to know how that can become true in your life? And all of a sudden, those kinds of conversations organically can begin to materialize. But when that happens, it's so important that we learn also the scripture. And one of the things that I've always encouraged, and this is something known as the Romans Road. Uh, it's a really simple pathway, a road map of some specific verses of Scripture. In fact, let me give them to you. You can write these down in your notes there on your, on your Kennet card. But I just would encourage you to write down you know, some verses like this and commit them to memory so that when you have the opportunity to engage in these spiritual conversations, you can walk through some scriptural steps for people to take so that they understand what it means, A, to be spiritually lost, and B, what it means 
to be found in Christ Jesus. So a person can't be saved until they first understand that they're lost. Does that make sense? And so it's, an, it's important that we have a framework or a path that we can take when it comes to sharing our faith. For example, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that's the, kind of the beginning and of, of, a, of a verse, a series of verses in the book of Romans. It's real close to access uh, because they're close to one another. But Romans 3, 23, Romans 5, 8 is another one. Romans 6, 23, Romans 6, 23, Romans 8, 1, and then Romans 10, 9. So in essence, having some Bible verses like that, that we have quick in our mind, that we can reference, that we have memorized, that we've committed to memory, can allow us to be able to verbally walk somebody through, step by step, on what it truly means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so those are just three simple things that I would encourage you know, any student and any of us to do. Pray for opportunities. Pray for those friends. Pray for those loved ones. Pray for people that you know that are lost spiritually that need to be saved. Pray and ask God to open those doors, soften their hearts, prepare their hearts, and then you know, begin those conversations. Uh, it, be intentional and look for opportunities to start those spiritual conversations, but know where to take them when they're prepared and ready to receive Christ. I love that. Prayer is so, so vital to that. And also I would say that, it, you know, if you're uncomfortable with it, maybe tagging up, tag team with a friend, you know. Uh, if you're praying for an intentional conversation to happen, I have my friend Melanie, I think, is in the audience today. And we tag teamed recently, and we prayed before we went into the conversation. We were meeting with a beautiful young woman that has gone through a very, very difficult time. And that's also a time when people are more open, I think, mm. don't you think, to, to hear about a spiritual conversation. And uh, we, we prayed intently before we entered the conversation, before we got together with the girl. And I started the conversation, and I said, you know, has there ever been a time in your life when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And she was a little unclear. You know, there was a moment where she felt something. And, and I mean, Melanie came in <laughs> like a hero. And she, you know, she led that girl to Jesus. And awesome. I mean, she knew her stuff. So if you've got a friend that you feel you know, is maybe a little stronger, maybe go together and connect with that friend to lead, help teach you and help guide the conversation. You know, two is always better than one. But, uh, and don't be afraid. You know, life is short. We got to live intentional, right? So every moment is so important that we are about being the hands and feet of Jesus and sharing the gospel. That's and that. ABC, Admit, ABC. believe, commit. Admit that you're without Christ, that you're a sinner. This is a prayer that you can lead them through. Admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that Jesus is the Lord and confess him to be the Lord in your life. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah super and, easy, ABC. And last resort, invite them to church. There you go, so, yes. Hey, we'll partner together. You get them here, and I promise you, I will, at the, I will always give them the opportunity always. to respond at the end. And so always. that's so, so important. Invest and invite. Yes. That's so, so important. So good. Okay, number three, what does the Bible say about cremation versus burial? Wow, this is a, I get this a lot, and um, 
and, and I normally get this question, obviously, when somebody is walking through that season of loss, you know, and maybe the family is trying to process, you know, what is the best next step for us as a family to honor our loved one? Uh, what's appropriate? And is there anything wrong? You know, is there a right way or is there a wrong way when it comes to, you know, how we honor the burial? And especially in the life of a believer. And so I think, so I get this a lot. And, and I think it's important for us to understand a couple of things. First and foremost, there is no specific place in all of the Bible that gives any clear direction as relates to the right kind or the wrong kind of burial when it comes to the burying the dead and specifically when it comes to the believers in Christ. And I think that's a key that we need to just keep in mind, the believers in Christ. But at the end of the day, there's no real specific. Now, there are references to, uh, you know, when it comes to illustrations and stories and um, references in the Bible when it comes to burying and when it comes to what is often referred to as the burning of, you know, one's body or bones, which is, we can take maybe in the realm of cremation, but let me just say this, I think what we have to understand, and I want to read a couple of verses as it relates to this, often we hear people say, you know, ashes to ashes, you know, dust to dust. And that is even not specifically, that is not specifically a Bible verse. There are some references when it comes to, uh, especially, in, you know, when it comes to Adam, you know, where, where God formed out of the dust of the earth and created man, so just like we came into the world, so to speak, you know, God is saying, you know, at the end of it all, we're going to go back to the way that we came. And so, but at, but at the end of the day, as believers in Christ, we need to understand that when this body, our physical mortal bodies are dead and gone, that does not mean that we are dead in, or in dead and gone. That simply means that, and as, and let, me, let me just read this to you because I think this is important because the Apostle Paul even referenced our bodies as, in many ways as tents. In other words, this is just the outward facade. This is just the earthly tent. So this is just the outward abode or dwelling place that our spirit resides as believers in Jesus Christ. So if we have God's spirit living inside of these mortal bodies, okay, uh, we, as we all know, are going to start falling apart. You know, I mean, our screws are going to get a little loose. You know, the pipes are going to get a little rusty. I mean, we're, 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 we're not going to live forever. Can I get a witness? Okay, I think we're all are on the same page with that. You know, stats are still pretty much spot on. One out of one people in the world still die. So, I mean, okay, it's a given fact. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, you'll see in the Bible, you'll see that there were multiple illustrations of people being buried. Um, burying people in New Testament, Old Testament times was often um, a way of honoring a person, but it was also limited to those who could afford to do such a thing. Even Jesus was placed into a, a it wasn't a casket, if you will, it was an empty tomb, but it was a above-ground type of tomb, but it was a borrowed tomb. 
And so, because it was very costly, and the average person was unable to do that. You had underground, you had burial under the earth type of burials as well. But then you have what is referred to as cremation. That is basically where we take these bodies of ours, and when God ultimately calls us home as believers, our bodies, these mortal temporary dwellings that God has given to us, basically remain just that. But when we are, as the Bible says, we are absent from the body, we are also present with the Lord. So we need to understand that as believers in Christ, we have a future hope. And that future hope is a home in heaven. And one day, the Bible says that when Jesus returns, and that's when we talked a little bit about this, when we talked about the difference between rapture and tribulation and those sorts of things, those who, the Bible says, who are dead, they will be risen. They will come out of the grave. And those of us who are alive, we will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. And coming together simultaneously, we at that point, we will leave these earthly bodies behind and we will receive new glorified bodies, eternal dwelling places that God has prepared for us. And so we will have bodies in heaven, but they won't be like the bodies that we have we and that we know today. Can I get an amen on that one? Man alive, we're going to have perfect glorified bodies just like Jesus when he was raised from the dead. So because he was raised from the dead, we too will be raised back to life and receive those same type of glorified bodies. So whether we are buried in a casket or whether we are cremated, the, the point of the matter is, is that at belie- as believers in Christ, God is the one who resurrects the dead and we become made alive again because of Jesus Christ. And our spirit will live forever and forever. And so I hope that is helpful there. I think it's just important. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 uh, is a great verse of scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses uh, 42 through 43 um, is another wonderful passage or verse of scripture there that speaks to these glorified bodies that one day we will all get to have and share forever and forever. It's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Amen. I can it's run awesome. and keep up with you. Get me a new head of hair. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. It's going to be great. <laughs> I like you that way, though. Okay, number four. If all of our sins are forgiven, who goes to hell? That's a great question. And um, there's kind of questions among questions in some ways related to this question. But let me just say this. Um, Again, to, and, and again, these questions that were submitted, we, we didn't fabricate them. We're just are literally, these are the way they came in. This is how we are responding to them. So the question is, if all of our sins are forgiven, who goes to hell? Well, my first response to that would be, and I think this is very important, that not everyone's sins are forgiven. I think that's very important to establish right at the beginning. And so... It might be easy for someone to assume when I get up, you know, and, and, and we talk about, you know, as believers, you know, we've been forgiven. But not everyone is true believers. 
not everyone has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that, people are spiritually dead. And so you say, well, what do you mean people are spiritually dead? We live in a sinful, broken, fallen, messed up world that is caused by sin. And therefore, because of that, people are spiritually dead. And what spiritually dead means is that means they are separated from God. So those who are separated from God, those who are spiritually dead, they don't know God. And because they don't know God, they've never been forgiven by God. And there's no way in the world that that individual who doesn't know God, who's never been forgiven by God, who is separated from God, who is spiritually dead, there is nothing they can do to get God to forgive them based on their own attempt to work their way somehow back to God. The only way a person can be forgiven by God is through the finished work of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who paid for our sin that we deserve to pay for. And because of what Jesus did when he said, it is finished on the cross, that simply meant he paid the ultimate price. In other words, what he came to earth to accomplish was paid in full. His work was complete when he died on the cross. So therefore, when he died... And he spilt his blood. That simply means that his body and his blood was spilt, was broken, so that our forgiveness could be made available. In other words, we could be reconciled back to God. I love this verse in 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. It says, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. So again, no one can be forgiven by God unless they recognize that Jesus paid for their sin. That he died, he was placed into a tomb, and he came back to life on the third day. That is, that is also known as the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and we believe in our hearts that he is who he says he is and he did what he promised that he would do by dying for us and coming back to life for us. And then was, as Michelle just emphasized the ABC, when we admit to God that we are sinners, we can't save ourselves. And we believe that Jesus died, was buried and came back to life and we are willing to repent. And turn our lives and commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then and only then can we truly be forgiven. And we, we also answered a question at the very beginning during week one. And the question was, once, you know, once is, is a person, once they're saved, always saved? And the answer to that question that we talked about was the, was the answer of yes. Yes, they are. However, we are as close to God as we choose to be. And there's a part of what is so often referred to as not just salvation, but also sanctification. So now we were once spiritually dead, now we are made alive in Christ because God's Spirit now lives and dwells within us as believers in Jesus Christ. And therefore, because we have been born again and have been made new and we have been forgiven, therefore our goal is to conform 
to be transformed, starting with the renewing of our minds, which results in a change of our lives to become more and more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. So therefore, our nature and our character now takes on his nature and his character. That's called sanctification. That's a whole other thing. So the answer to the question is, if everybody is forgiven, then who goes to hell? Well, again, not everybody is forgiven until they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, who goes to hell? Well, those who go to hell are going to be those who, in their heart of hearts, made the conscious decision, the choice, to reject Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. That's really, I mean, I'm just speaking the truth in love. And I know a lot of people will say, well, I just don't believe that. Because I just believe there are, there are many roads, you know, that ultimately will, will lead to heaven. Well, that's not necessarily true. That'd be like me asking everybody to call me on my cell phone. And you may have an Android, you may have an Apple cell phone, or you may have some other form of cell phone. You may try to call me. And you may be as sincere as you can possibly be in your attempt to try to reach out to me. But the only way that you're going to get through to me is if you know my number. And that's what Jesus, in essence, said in John 14, 6. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. So there's only one way that we get to heaven, and that is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, often people say, well, I just don't believe. If God is a God of love, then God would never send anybody to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves when we personally reject Jesus Christ as God's son. And so, and some people still have a hard time with that. We say, well, I just don't believe God is that kind of a God. Well, let me share a couple of verses that I think are really important for you to understand if that might be your mindset because in first peter 3 verses 8 and 9 it says but you must not forget this one thing dear friends a day is like a thousand years to the lord and a thousand years is like a day the lord isn't really being slow about his promise in other words his return his coming as some people think no he is being patient for your sake he does not want anyone to perish but wants everyone to repent the Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then it goes, goes on to say in verse 17, that God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So God is extending grace. God is extending patience. God is extending opportunities. God is giving opportunities day after day after day for us to turn from our ways and to surrender our lives to God's ways and being willing to receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then after this the judgment. So there will come a day, whether we like it or not, as I stated a few moments ago, one out of one people still die. There will come a day. We don't know when, don't know how, don't know where. But there will be a day when we will physically depart from this world. And there will be a day when we will stand before our maker, our creator. 
And I truly believe the question that we might hear from God, our maker, our creator, might just be this question. And that is, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And that's going to be the, that's going to be the question of all questions that we will have to answer and give an account for. And many religious people will hope that they'll get to heaven based on their good works. But just like Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees who were all about good works, what did he say? Depart from me because I never knew you. Because they only knew about Jesus in their head but never truly knew him and followed them, followed him in their hearts. And so 268 chapters in the New Testament, no less than 264 of those 268 chapters reference some form of that place known as hell, which is eternal separation from God, which is an eternal separation from God forever and forever. And that's the choice that people make. Incredible. Thank you so much. That was so good. Um, I, when you're thinking, when I think of the gospel, the good news that Rodney just talked about, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think in my mind, I'm a picture person, I think of a gift that God is giving to us through Jesus and this beautiful gift wrapped up. But he's given us a free will to choose whether we're going to take the gift and receive it or not. Yeah. And if we, if we have received it, then we get the opportunity to give that gift to someone else as well, what we talked about a minute ago, sharing the gospel. But in my mind, even at Christmas, maybe that last gift under the tree, somebody is going to take it and receive it or not. And there are people that just turn their back on the gift mm -hmm. and don't receive it. And that's heartbreaking to us. But we have the opportunity to share the gift, to always be giving the gift yeah. that God has given to us. And that goes back to the question that, that was asked a few moments ago about, you know, how do I help my teenagers, you know, invite their friends or lead their friends to Christ. And it just, that's the reason why we are to be witnesses and we are to share the hope with people so yeah. that they can have that opportunity to be forgiven, to know Jesus as their Lord and that's Savior. That's right. We, we're on co-mission with God. We get to be a part of it, which is awesome. Uh, Number five or six? You want to answer? Uh, five. This Number is, five. Yeah. This will be our last one. How do I know God is talking to me? This is a really, really good question, um, and I think it's, it's one that probably parallels with that how do I know God's will, you know, question that we get a lot from people who are all in that fork of the road, you know, situation. Um, it's kind of like, how do I know if this is the right decision? How do I know if this is really something God is leading me to do? And it's, it is a... There's no real easy, clear-cut ABC way, you know, of sometimes discerning God's will or hearing his voice. But I want to do the best I can to kind of maybe give some insight that I've learned and studied through the years. And I've actually done some message series through the years on this. And as, as I was processing this question, God just even put it in my heart that I want, to, I want to circle back and do this one again because I feel like it resonates with so many people. And, um, but I love the quote by C.S. Lewis. He, he said uh, these words one time. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone 
to rouse a deaf world. God just has a way of speaking to us. God has a way of getting our attention. And sometimes his way of getting our attention or speaking to us looks different, sounds different. And it, it, it all depends on how he chooses to speak to us. But I think, um, and there's a wonderful story, powerful, powerful um, story that I would encourage you to, to read at your leisure. It's in, found in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It's a story of young Samuel and uh, the priest Eli. And uh, young Samuel, who was learning and kind of the, the, the mentee, if you will, from his mentor, Eli, uh, from, from Eli. And one of the things we learned about young Samuel is that he had a humble spirit. He also had an obedient heart, and he also had a sensitive ear. And what's interesting is that as a young boy, he had never heard God speak to him before. And so one night as he was sleeping, he heard God speak, but he didn't know it was God speaking. But it was, he, basically it was God saying, Eli, Eli. And he thought it was his master. He thought it was Excuse me, he, God was speaking to Samuel and said, Samuel, Samuel. And he thought it was Eli that was speaking to him. So he gets up and he runs to Eli and Eli said, no, I, I didn't call for you. This happened three different occasions. He wakes up in the middle of the night thinking it was Eli. But because he'd never heard the voice of God before, on the last time when he went to Eli, Eli said, no, 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 no. Next time when you hear, if you hear, simply say these words. Yes, Lord, your servant, is, your servant is listening. And I think that is powerful for us to kind of have that posture of rather than us trying to figure things out, take matters in our own hands, or being quick to make a decision about things, I think it's just humbling ourselves and our spirit, making sure our heart is in the right place, we're willing to be obedient to whatever it is that God is trying to show us or teach us or speak to us about. And really just asking God to give us a sensitive ear so that we can truly kind of like cut out the noise and really hear His voice, His leading, speak to our hearts. And when we do that, I think we are in a better position to really hear clearly what it is that God is maybe leading us to do or speaking to our hearts to do. And I just want to share maybe four questions to ask yourself. Anytime you're in the process of making a decision or any time you're trying to figure out, discern God's will and whether or not God is speaking specifically to you about something, number one is ask, does it line up with Scripture? Does it line up with the Word of God, the Bible? And I think that's so vitally important because we live in a world today, especially with social media, where everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got their take on whatever, you know. And now the whole, you know, just know your truth. You know, be true to you. Well, that's the last thing I want to do is be true to me. I want to be true to God. I want to be faithful to Him and His Word and His truth. I don't want to base decisions on emotions or feelings, you know, because, man, I could have had a bad pizza last night. It's going to make me, <laughs> it's going to mess me up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't. 
want to base anything on popular opinion or what everybody else is saying. Because listen, just because things are being accepted in our world today doesn't necessarily mean it's true or it's right. So we need to make sure by asking questions does it line up with the Bible. Number two, will it make me more like Jesus? It's like the old WWJD bracelet, you know, what would Jesus do? So anything that we're thinking about, anything we're processing, anything we're trying to discern, the question really is, is this decision going to really allow me to become more like Christ, to mimic Him, to honor Him, to exemplify Him in this way? Number three is, does godly counsel agree? Now, sometimes a group or a committee, so to speak, may get the wrong decision made. But you want to make sure that you go to right people, wise people, godly people for wise counsel. The Bible says there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. There's not a decision that I make in my personal life without going to people that I know, that I respect, that I trust not because of who they are, but because of the wisdom that I know they have because I know these people walk with God and they have proved themselves faithful. And so I do, do the best I can to run things by people knowing that they're wise people, godly people, but at the same time they also might be experts in their chosen field in that specific area that niche area because we can't all know everything answers to every single situation but there are people that they specialize in certain areas so whatever it might be if it's a financial situation if it's a relationship situation you know if it's a parenting situation a career situation whatever the situation is it's always good to get godly wise counsel from people who specialize in these areas to seek wisdom from them and then draw from that. And then the last thing is, is, do I have peace in the process? Because I just believe God is not the author of confusion. God is the God of peace. And I think it's important, you know, there's something referred to in the Bible known as the rhema. We need to, it is a specific word, a rhema that we get from God, knowing this is the right thing to do. This is the step that I'm supposed to take. This is the path I'm supposed to go. And in doing so, there's peace. And so I think when we ask those questions, does it line up with the Bible? Will it make me more like Christ? Does godly counsel agree? And do I have peace? I think is really important. So it just really encourages us to spend time with God daily because Jesus said, and just like a shepherd, a shepherd, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. We, as God's sheep, we should know our shepherd's voice. And how do we know our shepherd's voice? By spending time with the shepherd, by spending time with Jesus. And then tune out anything and everything that opposes God. And there's a lot of that going on. And that's the reason why we need to make sure that, you know, what we do and the decisions we make are, are, are in agreement with God's word. They are in alignment with his word. But at some point, we have to st- take a step of faith right. and act on what God is leading us to do. We are to walk by faith and not by 
sight. And so sometimes on the periphery, on the, on the outside, the circumstances may not even make sense. But that's the journey of faith, amen? That's the part of walking by faith. And sometimes things don't always make sense. But I, I, I've often said, and, I, and I've seen this time and time again, what God initiates, God orchestrates. So if God is impressing, if he's leading, if he's, if, if, if he's putting those kinds of impressions upon our hearts, and we've gone through that, kind of put it through the grid, so to speak, and, and we've kind of walked through this process, and we take that step of faith, what God has initiated, we may not know how it's all going to work out, but God will orchestrate all of the details. He'll put the right people in the right place. He'll provide. He'll protect. He'll guide. He'll lead you to wherever he wants to take you. And I think that's something that's helpful for us to really know and discern how to hear God's voice. So good. Really, really good. And I think that as we put these steps into place, that they're, they're very, very important, the things that you just laid out. Hopefully everybody's taking notes or you can listen back on the podcast or watch it tomorrow again because this was some great content today. Uh, we do our best. Once we do these things, we do our best to make the right decision, and God will take care of the rest. He's, he's redeeming. I mean, even if we don't do it exactly right, don't you believe and know from your past that God will redeem and take care of us. He's going to get us where we need to go. He's going to guide and direct us if our hearts are totally, fully committed to him. He's looking, the Bible says, throughout the whole earth searching yeah. for somebody that's fully committed to him. Why would he not guide and direct us in the right way? That's right. You know, he is so good and so faithful. The enemy wants us to live in fear in making decisions, but God has asked us to live in faith. Step out. Do it. He's going to take care of you. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope this has been helpful as a series. Uh, again, there's so many questions we could go on and on and on. And I just, again, I appreciate the uh, authenticity and the really just transparency of those who have submitted these questions. And we'll do this again. And I would love to be able to circle back at some point and allow this to be just an ongoing conversation. But that's also another reason why being a part of a small group is so vitally important. Surrounding yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ and being in that kind of space and an atmosphere where you have those relationships where you can answer questions and talk about things and, and really encourage one another in the faith because we need one another. That's why the Bible says is iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another. Listen, we're better, we're healthier, we're stronger together. Amen? And so whatever we do, we can't live life alone. We need one another as a body of Christ, as a local church to, to be all that God desires for us to be. And so there's strength in the body of Christ in the local church. And so let's continue these conversations in our small groups as we grow together and become all that God desires for us to be. Well, let's pray together. Dearly Father, thank you so much for this amazing time, these um, last few weeks as we've had the opportunity just to unpack some questions. And even last week as we uh, honored men and the, the fathers on Father's Day and kind of put a different twist with some of the questions about um, men can ask and dads can ask. And so, Lord, this has been a question and answer time and season, Lord, that we've been walking through during the month of June. And, and God, as we continue to, Lord, walk each and every day, 
in your presence and practice your presence in our every step. Lord, I, I know that there are many of us, most of us in this room, even those that are watching online, Lord, they have already put their faith in you. They've surrendered their lives to you. And Lord, they're doing all that they can to honor you each and every day as they grow and become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And even though we give it our all, we still come, sh we come up short. We still mess up. We still have challenges and weaknesses. We still disobey. There are still times in our lives where, God, we hurt others or offend others and God ultimately we hurt and offend you in the process and so maybe today as a follower of Jesus maybe you have stepped outside the will of God maybe you have lived recently in some ways that have been dishonoring to the Lord and maybe in your heart maybe you just don't feel that maybe you're as close to God as you could be or should be or you used to be and maybe today you just need to recommit your heart you need to maybe just make some wrongs right in your heart of hearts today, just confess some sins to the Lord and say, God, forgive me in this area. God, I've neglected you in this way. And God, I was wrong in these areas of my life. And ask the Lord. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so today, we can stand in right relationship with you. But also realize that there are some here today, maybe even watching online, who have yet to fully surrender their lives, who have yet to fully put their faith and their trust in Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And if you've never done that today, if you have never made peace between you and God, if you have never personally owned your own faith by making it personal and real in your heart of hearts, by opening up your heart and receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Can I invite you to do that today? You can do what we just talked about a few moments ago. It's as simple as A, B, and C. It's just simply admitting your sin to God. Just tell God right now. Just say, God, I admit to you that I am a sinner. Believe in your heart. That's the B. Just say, Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for me. You paid the ultimate price for me. And I believe that you came back to life from the grave. And the C simply says to commit. You can just tell Jesus right now, Jesus, I am committing my life to you. To be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer here today, or maybe there online, but especially in the room today, would you let me know by just holding up your hand high toward heaven, saying, yes, count me in. I just prayed that prayer. I'm not ashamed to admit it today. That's awesome. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? It's wonderful. Thank you. Father, we thank you for these that lifted their hands. And Lord, we thank you for those who have taken this important step in their life and Lord, as we come close to you, as James uh, 1 teaches us, may you come close to us, God. And I pray that today that we'll walk out of here, Lord, with, with greater intentionality. Lord, to not only live for you, but to be a witness for you. Lord, in our workplace, in our school campuses, in our families, in our homes, Lord, wherever we are, 
Lord, may we be a shining, radiant light that shines like a city on a hill. Lord, may the light of Jesus radiate in and through our lives to a world that's living in darkness. And Father, we thank you for our church. Lord, that you have placed here for such a time as this. To be a place of hope, new beginnings, transformation. Lord, a place for people's lives to be touched, to be healed, to be transformed. And Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name, even as we look ahead and as we prepare for our permanent home and our future land and all of those things we're working towards, God, may you use it all to reach more and more people with the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.